the Behind the Seams podcast. I'm your host, Nunzio Signore, looking to bring you great dialogue with some of the best in the world of player development. The world of training baseball players has changed dramatically during the past few years, and I'm looking forward to shedding some light here on what's the latest, what's the best, and what's really happening in the world of player development. Thanks for joining me for the ride. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Before we begin, I want to tell you about our new remote training programs here at RPP. We've been offering remote training for quite some time, but we always required athletes to come in-house for assessments. Now, we can do the whole assessment online, and we're really excited about bringing all of our services, pitching, hitting, and strength training, to your doorstep. So if you like what we do and how we do it, check it out on our website at rocklandpeakperformance.com under remote training in the toolbar. Thanks. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Behind the Seams podcast. Today is part two with my man, Dr. Ismael Gallo. Dr. Gallo was drafted by the Los Angeles Dodgers in the 20th round of the 96 draft. He played five minor league seasons, finishing his career with a 300 batting average. Most interestingly, after his professional baseball career concluded, Dr. Gallo received a bachelor's in kinesiology from Cal State University Fullerton and continued his education in the doctor of physical therapy program at Loma Linda University. Dr. Gallo and I spoke last year in the first podcast where we actually just talked about movement and DNS. And uh, the response was so great that we're sitting down again. And this time we're going to discuss creating better movements on the field and training stability through a larger range of motion particularly with the use of Dr. Gallo's baseball flows, which I'm going to talk about myself a little bit. But first, I want to welcome to the show, Dr. Ismael Gallo. Welcome, man. Hey, Nancio. Thanks for having me on again, man. Absolutely. And we're going to try to take a uh, really complex topic and we're going to make it understandable today. We're going to we're going to straddle the fence between nerd and Neanderthal. First, tell us a little bit about your education and your baseball career briefly and how you ended up deciding about starting something like baseball flows. Well, I'll tell you this, as far as my baseball career, I played five minor league seasons with the Dodgers in the late 90s, and I always felt like there was something missing. I always felt like I hit the mark. I hit 300 almost every year, but I could never get past that high single A, and and I was thinking to myself, what's holding me back from being that double A, triple A big league player? And a lot of it came back to athleticism. Like I never really trained my athleticism. I never trained my movement flow. I never trained global movement patterns. I would train more like we did back in the 90s, which was go and lift, lift heavy, squat, bench press, all the gym stuff. And then I would go and work on the skills. So it was, there was a good, there was like a bridge for me that I felt like was missing from what I was doing in the gym and then what I was doing on the baseball field in professional. Um, and then after I got done, then I started to dive into kinesiology, developmental kinesiology. I started to learn more about the physical therapy component of it. 2010, I graduated. After 2010, I practiced, I would say, formal physical therapy, kind of like the the nuts and bolts of the medical model for about five, six years. And then I started to realize that then there was another gap there. So there was a gap between what I was doing in the physical therapy clinic, and then there was a gap between the performance and the baseball field. And that same gap that I had as a player, as far as the gym to the baseball field, as far as the clinic to the baseball field, it was the same gap that I felt like why not start to develop a program and figure out what is the missing link and what is that bridge that we, how can, how can we fill that gap with the program with the experience I have? Right. Cause I mean, 
I felt like I was in a fairly fortunate position to say, I guess I played professional baseball. So I understand the sport to the nth degree of trying to figure out how to hit a 95 mile an hour fastball consistently. And then I also studied, like you mentioned, the nerd part. I try to figure out the anatomy, the physiology, the neuromuscular, the nervous system. I mean, you name it. I nerded out on that end and I felt like I was in a unique position to say like, maybe I could somehow string together a program that'll bridge that gap. That's kind of like where my situation of bridging the gap came in and how I actually came about this idea to um, talk to you. I've been 20 years in the business with what I like to believe is a, is a highly successful strength and conditioning private sector facility. We train high school kids. We train college guys. We train pro guys. And we really take pride in long-term athletic development, whereas we train them in strength. We train them in mobility. We train them in stability. We have mocaps. We have force plates. We train their technique in pitching. We train their technique in hitting. We feel like we've covered all the bases of what you need as far as strength, stability, mobility, technique. And then this year we decided to have a baseball team and we have all these great athletes. So we could really form a really good young baseball team and work on athletic development with them. And I was watching young kids because I'm not really um, there's not a lot of young guys, 13 year olds, 14 year olds in my facility. But recently there has been. And I had just started noticing that, wow, these 13 and 14-year-old kids, while they're good baseball players for their age, when it came to us starting to work on fielding, they couldn't get down and they couldn't actually get down far enough to grab the ball. And if they were athletic enough to get down to get the ball, it took them forever to get back up into a throwing position. You know, so I was like, wow, these kids are not transitioning through their movements. And until a few years ago, after reading Strength, Strength Training and Coordination by Franz Bosch about DNS, I had been using DNS and Franz Bosch methods and techniques with my pitchers for three years now. I never thought about DNS with position players because A, I train mostly pitchers, and B, I have now a lot of position players because I have a team and we'll probably have three or four of them next year. So I said, wow, these transitions remind me a lot of what Ismael Gallo is always posting on social media and what we talked about in the first podcast. I said, let me give him a call. I, I want to dive into this a little bit. And, you know, like you, I'm really busy and I've created a lot of systems. And I, I honestly, I wasn't into sitting down and designing a program, progressed program for position players. So I said, you know what? The work is done for me. And this was the missing link as well for me. Like you said, strength training, great. Technique, great. But the flowing between global movement patterns, that was really the straw that broke the camel's back. So please first explain what is a global movement pattern to the listeners that may not be familiar with DNS style training. Can you just please explain what we're talking about when we say global movement patterns? So global movement pattern is, is a pattern that's basically more of a holistic, interdependent on other body parts right it's it's a pattern where you're not just like the hip itself is not working in isolation it's more of the hip the ankle the knee the shoulder and the elbow all working in unison it's almost like a orchestra right it's an orchestrated movement well sequenced with a conductor that's making sure that everything is staying connected as you move for me that's what i see a global movement pattern being but for the brain, it's really simple because we have these developmental global movement patterns. So for me, it's developmental kinesiology and the science of it is where we've kind of been missing the mark. And I say we because I missed it for a lot of years. For a lot of years, I would see neuro neurotherapists, right? 
working with strokes, working with the nervous system, and they would use developmental kinesiology patterning to get their patients better. And me being an orthopedic physical therapist, I would always just look at them and go like, oh, that's a neuro patient. That's a nervous right. system. It was right there in front of you. It was right It was there. right in front of me, but <laughs> I, I couldn't see past it because you know why, Nuncio? Like I was trained in the orthopedic model. And when you're trained in the orthopedic model, you're trained like, a, like the orthopedic surgeons, right? Where they're looking at it very mechanical. They're looking at the mechanics of the tissue, the health of the tissue. And we're looking at body parts versus the nervous system. Right, because if you have a nervous system problem, you're not going to go see the ortho doc. Right. You're going to go see a neurologist. So that split right there was I actually became an orthopedic certified specialist. And in all my training that I did as a physical therapist to become orthopedic certified specialist, very little did we discuss developmental kinesiology and global movement patterns, because it was one of those that yes, we discussed uh, movement patterns, but we discussed more of the mechanics of the joint. Mobility problem, strength problem, coordination. Coordination is probably the closest you're going to get to any kind of nervous system, but it's coordination of the hip, coordination of the shoulder. So it's still isolated body parts that we're looking for versus the global developmental uh, movement patterns. And I felt like even though it was right in front of me, I missed it for so many years, but I've been working with it now for about three to four years. And it's one of those where I've just seen exponential gains. And not just in infielders, but pitchers, hitters, because these patterns, you use them everywhere. It's just really hard to see with the hitters and the pitchers because, like, we put way more research into those. So we're getting really good at breaking it down and then putting it back together through basically an orthopedic model because we've been working at it for so long. But I still don't see the global developmental patterns being used much as far as training uh, and making changes in people. And players I, in general, I think I think that uh, that is that is changing quickly, uh, and it's great that you're at the front of that. Uh, you mentioned you had mentioned to me a couple days ago. You mentioned to me that you found that using dynamic movement patterns first has helped your athletes arrive at and hold positions better statically. Most would think the other way around. Try explain that. Well, I think I'll be honest with you. I wish I wish I had an answer for everything. Right. I wish I had a very logical, linear answer of a guess what? We got to build a before we get to C, before we get to D, before we get to F, before we get to G, because I think we all think linear. Right. Like you got to build positional strength and then from there, then you'll get the transitional strength. And that's a very linear way of looking at it. What we found was I had people that were struggling with certain planks, certain positions, holding the static position. And then we just moved on to the next phase of training, which was more flowing transitions, working through flow, working through movements, more dynamic movements. And then we started to find that they were holding the planks a lot longer by flowing and moving. My best explanation for that would be, I think the core works and it's, it's movement pattern dependent. And I almost think it's global movement pattern dependent. And once you build it in that, in that transition and that, that flow, that at that point you're very robust, so then you could hold it in any position. So I, it's a I little think, bit. I think that I see that. Well, after you had said that, a light went off in my head. Like I see this a lot when when I analyze static positions in a mocap. Um, and like when I look at uh, the mocap, breaks it down at, into foot plant release. Uh, and 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 when I look at the, the the positions that statically that guys are in at foot plant. Um, I don't really try to make changes 
based off of a static position at foot plant. What I'm concerned with is how did they get to foot plant? So if they're at foot plant and they're in a bad position, that means that something happened before then on the way there that put them in this bad position statically. So a lot of people look at static positions um, when they're analyzing data and they try to say, oh, wow, his foot is his foot is flying open. Look, look how open he is at foot plant. Uh, his leg his, is too internally, his hip is too internally rotated at foot plant. He's landing closed. Well, he's already stopped. You got to fix that, you know, upstream. You got to fix the way he got into that position. And that's the dynamic global movement patterns. You got to figure out where did this guy, when he started his stride and he started coming down the mound, what went wrong that he ended up at foot plant in a bad position? And I think that for me, that what you said about getting using dynamic movement patterns to help uh, arrive at and hold positions better statically, that that completely made sense to me when I'm looking at pitchers and we we have a tendency sometimes to look at them in when we're looking at video, we freeze the video at foot plant and we make sure we want to see if the arm and everything is perfectly right. Well, if it's not, you're, there's nothing you could do about it at this point. He's landed. You got to go back and figure out what happened. So he got into that position. So I think that it was really a little light bulb went off in my head when you talked about how you, you use dynamic movement patterns to help uh, position statically. Let's take let so Dr. Gallo was good enough to send me um, his coach's cert, which I feel is really worthwhile for guys to uh, you can give us all the information at the end. I wanted to just check out his assessment and check out how he goes about um, teaching baseball coaches how to do this basically from anywhere on the field, anywhere you go, no, no equipment needed. And I, and I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. So I looked at his assessment and your main assessment from the ground up to single leg stance, that's a, that's a big bulk of your assessment and not easy to do, by the way. Um, it's very reminiscent of a Turkish getup. So my question is, and my coach's questions were, why not just use the Turkish getup? Well, I think that's a great question because uh, I'll be honest with you. When I first started, I, I started looking at developmental kinesiology and I started looking. It was interesting enough because when I started looking through the system, my sons were two and four years old. So I literally had two subjects in my home that I was studying the, the science and I was studying the textbook, but I also had two subjects in my home. So every night I would see my sons flow and my sons move. And guess what? That Turkish getup is nowhere in their flow from two to four years old. Because I feel like what happened with the Turkish getup is sometimes I feel like as instructors or as coaches, we get stuck with making things hard, harder than they are, right? Versus making them more efficient, more productive, more functional. I feel like the Turkish getup was one of those where we where we try to make a movement of getting up from the ground harder than it should be, right? So we use patterns that we kind of made up as far as like you're never really going to throw your hips up as you're trying to get up. It's a whole different global pattern that we use. So even though the Turkish getup is hard, I don't know how functional it is when you start to move. Like I always tell people, like if a guy, if you get a player that goes down for a ground ball, dives, he's not going to get up in a Turkish getup pattern. <laughs> so are we really yeah. teaching patterns that transfer or are we just teaching hard exercises? I think for me, I, I've always just felt, I just yeah. felt like I want to teach efficient movement. We want to ingrain that efficient movement. Clean movement plays everywhere. 
And it's I just think one that, of those. I think a Turkish getup is a great move. I think uh, I use it all the time. I love it. But I do I do hear what you're saying. As far as the transfer over to baseball, um, I don't see it either. I, I, I think it's I think your I think your point is completely valid on that. Um, how how do you program different flows for different ages based off of body awareness? Do you have different flows for different ages? Like, cause I'm I noticed that my coaches, they can they can get further into these flows before I see, start to see movement patterns break down, obviously, than a 13, 14 year old. Um, so when we tell a little bit about how these flows are programmed, do you take into consideration the age based off of body awareness or how does it work? So for us, we don't go too much on age related because I feel like age related is one of those where with global movement patterns, there is no like this age is better than that age. Uh, like, for example, sometimes a, a 10 year old does it better than a 14 year old just because the 14 year old has been corrupt. If global movement patterns are more corrupt than a 10 year old, uh, sometimes even a 10 year old does it better than a professional or a college guy. It's kind of amazing how when you work through global movement patterns, there's so much that goes into it. So much of like the way we move and the patterns that we ingrain, like guys that have been in the gym for five years, sometimes have the worst global patterns. Yeah, that's like because, the old looking at the baby to get a great squat. That's like exactly. Oh, you yeah, it's similar to that. So yeah. it's one of those where, where for us actually our onboarding on the app on the baseball flows app, we do a movement screen. So we do a modified movement screen from the ones we teach coaches. So from there, we get a better understanding if we have to make any changes to the program for the player. Uh, but for the most part, every player starts with the same program. Once we do the movement screen, then we start to figure out, all right, we want to make sure that you're at a challenge point and that we're we're not skipping um, fundamental global patterns just because you're older or because you're younger or because you're the skill level versus that skill level. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Absolutely. One hundred percent. The um, from looking from looking and sitting with these uh uh, these these videos that you had sent me and 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 looking at your cert and watching um, guys do them, um, I've noticed that it, it brought me about. I have a client. I have a client in my facility, and um, first he had a hamstring pull. Then it was a high adductor strain, or maybe like a sports hernia, as some people call it. So this was basically his core losing the fight for the pelvis with his hips, and um, he has a huge anterior pelvic tilt and. These injuries were always, I asked him, are these injuries happening to you um, during rapid movements or are they happening to you while you're lifting? He said, during rapid movements, like throwing or cutting on the field. So we adjusted his program a bit. And then I actually told him to contact you. Um, and the reason I did that was because um, one common mistake that most athletes make when they're trying to increase their mobility is they don't stabilize the middle first. Right. And I think that your global movement patterns and in and, and your flows, they're really focused on proximal to distal. They're really, really focusing on creating a good center so we can move out outwards and create force into the world um, with a better stability. Almost like I heard Stuart McGill talk one time about when you look at a, when you look at a backhoe in, in, in a construction yard, it puts that big back arm down in the back right? And it digs it into the ground. That's like your core. That's so he can move the big heavy arm around because if he didn't do that, the whole thing would tip over, right? So he puts that back arm right into the ground and creates that anchor. 
And I feel like when I'm when I'm doing these flows and when I'm watching these guys do these flows, it's like you're learning to develop that big anchor in the back of the backhoe that helps you move um, more dynamically without extra leakage out the joints and be able to create more force. Am I making sense to you with that? Yeah, it makes 100% sense. But I, I think this is the biggest thing I've noticed with the flows, right? Is we've also noticed that you could create an anchor, but sometimes you anchor them too much, right? So that's kind of the things that go, I've actually go into that. Go into that one. On the other hand, is there still has to be free flowing movement, and there has to be free flowing motion. And I feel like at times, sometimes we anchor, we constrain uh, players too much, where all of a sudden they're losing athleticism. I I and agree with that. I'm what I'm saying is though is. We, 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 we don't have to, I think movement gets hindered when we have to freeze up positions because we're not firing from a stable base. Do you, do you understand? A, no, I think you're right on. Let me, let me kind of finish the point here is, so it's when you, when that anchor gets anchored is the biggest, it's the biggest thing, right? And I feel like with the flows and the global movement patterns, you're able to sequence and really anchor down at the point when you're turning. Because the anchor you need is for rotation, right? That's really when we need to anchor and create that flow and that stability. So we turn basically on a real tight axis. And the flows, it's literally turning your body as you're anchored into the center, as your deep core is engaging. And it's teaching not just the anchor and the strength and the neuroactivity in that area, but it's also teaching the timing, the timing of when is it that that anchor has to anchor down as you turn your body and you're turning in very tight spaces while it's activated, while it's supporting you. That way you can unleash, like Stuart says all the time, you can unleash distal athleticism. But right. I feel like sometimes the, the, the thing that I worked with the flows the most was to make sure that we're not just teaching static positions and just trying to anchor people down. It's we're creating an anchor at the right time in the right sequence. So that way we could unleash the arm, the everything else, and it's all connected. Well, I think that's basically what all of us had started doing when we opened up facilities and we worked on strength training, we work on anchoring, we work on mobility, we work on anchoring so we can get mobile. When we're on doing our technique, we're putting our feet in the ground and work on anchoring our feet into the ground. So we do spend a lot of time working on stability. We work a lot of time on strength and anchoring. But when we were talking about what was missing in this puzzle, it's exactly that is anchoring at the right time. So we're talking about the same thing. You're just saying the timing of the anchoring is the key, which is obvious, which is which is the key, the key momentum. And it's so obvious that nobody really does it. <laughs> it's just yeah. it's like it's 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 amazing. And and honestly, in a nutshell, that's what that's what I like about these flows is that it actually is teaching you to anchor at the right time timing based on the actual movement that you're doing. So that's that's really, really great. So um, while every athlete is obviously different and learns motor skills at different rates, approximately how long does it take to see even small gains, uh, you know, on a on a average basis, then eventually what would you consider great movement patterns on the field? Like like to to how long does it before you see a small difference? And how long have you seen on a on a basic level guys are noticing huge improvements in their game well i'll tell you this is is if you look at the research right mortar learning is all over the place 
I mean, it's anywhere between four weeks all the way to a year, all the way to six months. But I'll tell you anecdotally what we've been noticing is because we do a movement screen on day zero when they start, and then we do a movement screen 30 days later. And I'll, t- I'll tell people, go to our, our website, www.baseballflows.com, and you'll see the before and afters as far as how kids are able to stabilize their head, how now the, the middle is anchored as they're starting to turn their body. Everything we're discussing, you'll start to see on the after. On the, fr- on the front end, on the before, you'll start to see all the leakage happening. No anchoring, head moving all over the place, no hip hinge, no stability in single leg. All of a sudden, you look at 30 days later and you go like, that kid's a totally different mover. And usually I use my wife as a guinea pig. So I just tell her like, hey, tell me which one's the before and after. Every single time she goes, that second one. Yeah. And and I go, how do you know? And she's like, he just looks more athletic, more powerful. He just looks like he's moving. She knows zero about movement and she's able to spot it. So for us, it's 30 days. We're getting great gains with the program, with the app, people being on it. Now, I think that's different, though. Let's be realistic with taking it on the baseball field. Right. What we hear from our clients is usually maybe about two, three months. These kids are starting to make moves and global and using their global patterns to make plays on the field. They're pitching better. They're, I think that other day a coach sent me, he did a six-week program. Uh, they went up not just three miles an hour faster, but they also, their floor went up. So they weren't losing velocity the more they threw. So their their floor of their velocity was also staying up. Yeah, because they're, me, able, was, they're able to anchor and they're not leaking. So they're not getting tired. They're not getting as tired. Exactly. So that, that was a big game rate uh, changer for us because every time you create a program, you could only see what you see. It's not until coaches take it and then they start doing their coach thing. And then they start using it in their programs that for me, I want it to be as least biased as possible where I'm not involved in the research. I'm not involved in it. I just train coaches. We put them on the app. They do their players. And then whatever they give me back, I always tell them, be honest. If there's no changes, we, we got to make sure that we stay honest to the process and we got to make sure that we stay honest to the results. And it's not me trying to sell anything. It's me just reporting what the coaches tell me and just going like, if you guys are seeing results, let me know. I hear you, dude. That's it's, it's like that in any kind of a system that's, that's developed, you know, guys come in here and parents will ask me, have you ever thought of doing this? Have you ever thought of doing this? I'm like, you know what, right now I've been doing this for 20 years and my guys continue to get better every year, every year. I'm not trying to fix something that's not broke. If you have a problem with something that I'm doing, I'd love to hear it. If I can make my system better through experimenting, that's great. But until then, if it's working, it's working. I can tell you that for the last week, I've been doing these so I can teach them to my coaches. I'm 60 years old and I'm moving in one week. I'm moving through these flows of things that the first day I was like, shit, I'm never going to be able to do this. And I'm in, I'm in, I'm a strong, pretty mobile guy. I tried to do the first day. I was like depressed. I was like, wow, I'm like old after three <laughs> days. I'm flying on these things. It's like, it really, it, it it's once proprioception sits in, sets in, it's pretty intense. And it's, it's, it's really, really, uh, it's a great, it's a great thing. And I can't wait to, um, I can't wait to start implementing it with my teams um, for coaches out there. I, I will tell you, um, you can you can get certified and you can look at these. Uh, you can you can get the app and you can apply these to your to your teams um, like I'm going to do. And it's really it's the missing link. 
I won't, I won't sit here and tell you that I think it's a replacement for strength training. I'm not going to tell you that I think it's a replacement for pitching and hitting lessons and technique. Um, but I will tell you that all of the above without this is a there's a there's a there's a big empty bucket there. Um, and it's been there for a really long time. And uh in the last couple of years, DNS has really been moving it, and you've taken it to a very simplistic way of looking at things that coaches can grab. So kudos to you for that. Yeah, thank you. I'm I'm glad that you mentioned that this is not trying to replace anything. It's actually trying to enhance every single bucket. Exactly. It, it, it's enhancing every single bucket that you're working on. So I always tell people, like, we're complementary. We're not trying to – We I work hand-in-hand hand with strength coaches. I work hand-in-hand hand with hitting coaches. I work hand-in-hand hand with pitching coaches. No way would I ever say I'm trying to replace anybody. I'm literally just trying to make it easier for you to get them to the next level, to get players to move better, to perform better. I so so much so that I go around I go around the country and speak a lot and I and I write articles on long-term athletic development and my five buckets were always um strength, mobility, technique, arm care and nutrition. Okay? And I'm going to actually add a sixth bucket of agility forward slash global movement patterns because I really feel like um these five buckets you know Thought I had it all covered until I started looking at young kids try to get up off the ground to throw a baseball. And then I realized, wow, this kid's strong for his age. He's mobile. Um, his body looks good and he's he he runs fast, but man, he can't get off the ground. So that was my missing link. Um, this has been great. How can guys reach out to you? How can they get a hold of your baseball flows? Uh, let us know all your info, Instagram, Twitter, whatever it is. So a lot of it will go through the, our website, www.baseball.com, uh, baseballflows.com. And at there, you'll be able to find all the uh, coaching certification. You'll also be able to find all our programming. Uh, we have some ancillary programs on there, people that, that individual clients could get on. But our biggest thing is we do team packages and we do facility packages. So if you own a facility or if you're a coach, uh, I always tell people the certification is, is so you could be like a scout. Right, because the hardest thing for coaches to do sometimes is to figure out, okay, why is this kid not hitting? And usually you go, okay, am I going to take him into more drills, or is he just needs to move better? And if your kid, if you you got to decipher which one you're going to go and spend most of your time in, and a lot of times all we're doing now is just hitting them with more drills, more drills, and getting frustrated. You get frustrated, kid gets frustrated. So what we did is with the certification, you're going to be able to tell, okay, guess what? This kid has a global movement pattern issue. And then from there, we just take over. We could train an entire team with the app where every player is on the app. And we do all the training for the coaches. We do all the training for the facilities. And that's where we kind of create packages, custom packages for facilities. Uh, but they'll be able to find that all on the www.baseballflows.com. And if they want to reach out to me uh, personally, Twitter is probably the easiest one. I'm always on there. Flowsdoc is my handle. Um and that, that way you'll kind of start to learn, too, uh, a lot of the background and a lot of the science behind it, because I post tons on there. That's awesome. And you, you guys can reach out to me, as you know, at Nunzio Signore on Twitter. My facility is at RPP underscore baseball. Uh, the website is rocklandpeakperformance.com. Got a book out on velocity-based training called How to Apply Science, Technology, and Data to Maximize Performance on Amazon. It's released by Human Kinetics. And we've been talking with Dr. Ismael Gallo today. Um founder of the Baseball Flows. Doc, thanks again for being on. It's always great talking shop with you. Uh, thank you, man. This was great.
I appreciate it. Awesome, guys. And until then, uh, stay tuned for another episode of Behind the Seams Podcast. Take care.